0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. 2,000 years ago, Jesus took a group of men and women who couldn't be more different from another, a variety of gifts and talents and backgrounds and experiences, and, and used them to start what we now call the church. He used the apostles who, who, who were made up of, of fishermen and tax collector and zealot. He, in the book of Acts, we can see, see Jesus choosing to use like a demon-possessed woman and a businesswoman and the apostles all together making this wide group of different experienced and imperfect and messed up people. And he chooses to use them to build his church. And what Jesus says about this group of people and this thing that he's doing in the church, he even says, I will build my church and death, the powers of death, will not overcome it. In other words, what Jesus wants to do through his church, there is nothing that can stop it. It's not the, even the people, the people who he's using, they can't stop it. Because what Jesus chooses to do will not be stopped. And today, Jesus' church can be found in every continent and every nation. It can be found in a variety of different languages and with different approaches and styles and cultures. And it's in that church that we see Jesus doing what only he can do, bringing people life and hope and forgiveness. Throughout this series, we have been working our way through the early parts of the book of Acts, looking at what we can see in the early church, the way that we see God at work in the early church. And the reason this is so valuable is because when we better understand what the church is, um, and, and when we see that at work in the first century, we can better understand what that looks like for us in the 21st century. Because while thousands of years have have passed, the very things that made the church the church in the first century are the very same things that make the church what it is today. And so we began the series by being reminded that the church is for everyone. It's not just for religious people or good people, it's for all people. In the second week, we were reminded that there are certain things that the church is devoted to. And in Acts 2, we were reminded that the church is devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and prayer. And it's in those things that the church finds a common identity and a common mission. Last week, Joe reminded us that the church is bold in its witness. That it is bold in creating opportunities to share the message of Jesus with people. Today, we're going to continue by going into the book of Acts, chapter 6. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1700. And in Acts 6, what we will begin to find is this moment for the early church where they begin to experience a little bit of tension. They begin to experience some relational difficulties, some growth difficulties. And so, what we can find in this is how does the church then choose to be faithful in the midst of those tense moments? See, tension, especially within the church, we often think of as a bad thing. And it can be bad. It, 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 that at times, tension can cause hurt and pain. But tension in and of itself is not actually a bad thing. Tension is just a thing thing. It's, it's neutral. It's not good or bad. Tension, like if you think about it, like think of all the areas of life where you might experience tension. Tension in and of, of itself can actually be a very helpful thing. If you're reading a story, if you're watching a movie, tension is actually the thing that keeps you engaged in the story. Right? If you were to try to watch a movie without any tension, is a movie that you're not going to watch. Because it's actually the tension that allows you to continue, continue to follow the story, to stay engaged and connected in the story. The tension is actually what propels that story forward. An organization without tension would fail. Right? If, if an organization is trying to produce a product that people want to buy, without any tension, they're not actually going to ever deliver that product. Because without tension, there is no debate and no discussion about what that pro- end product should actually look like. There's, without tension, that indicates there's not really anybody who's passionate about the product they're producing. Uh, w- w- tension is helpful for the end product, for them. And in fact, you can even look at relationships. Right in any, in any relationship, in a friendship or a marriage, those relationships don't exist without tension. In fact, a lack of tension could highlight a bigger problem than tension itself, because a lack of tension could indicate that, all right, maybe they've given up. It's not worth the fight anymore. See, the tension in and of itself isn't bad. Tension indicates passion and purpose. It indicates value. It indicates relationship. And so if you think about it, think about it like a rubber band. Right? Because a rubber band is built on this idea of tension, rubber bands don't exist. Or don't work without tension. Now, too much tension, right, for too long in a rubber band can be bad for the rubber band. Eventually, if you pull too long and and too hard, eventually it begins to crack and it will break. Too much tension can be bad in the rubber band. But at the same time, a lack of tension makes the rubber band useless. Right, so the rubber band was actually designed to function with tension. So too much tension isn't good. But too little tension isn't good. And in the church, you will find tension. You will find things pushing and pulling against one another. But the thing that we must ask is, all right, well, the tension is just the reality of life. Of ministry. It's a reality that highlights that there's mission and that there's passion and purpose and calling. And so the question isn't, will there or will there not be tension, but how do we manage the tension so that it doesn't pull to the point where it breaks, but so that we don't go to this either and become useless. Because too much tension and too little tension both cause problems. And so the challenge that we can find in the book of Acts will help us see is how do we navigate those moments of tension. Because in every area of life, we will find tension in our workplaces, in our families, and certainly in the church. There will be these moments of tension. And so how do we, how do we stay faithful within the tension so, so, so the tension doesn't break, but so that we can utilize the tension so that the church can be who God created the church to be, And so in Acts chapter 6, I'll begin reading in verse 1, and we'll see how the early apostles navigated these tensions. It says this, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, who also stars in a Disney movie, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. See in Acts chapter 6, what we see is the church is growing. It's, in fact, it's rapidly expanding as the apostles are preaching the gospel. As more and more people are beginning to hear of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The, the lost are being saved and they're coming into the family of God. And so things are rapidly growing. But what we see is that when Jesus grows his church, Satan fights against it. And so for them, this tension begins to take place. And, and the reason the tension takes place is because as Jesus is doing the work that only he can do, Satan wants to fight back. He wants to make the ch- sure the church doesn't grow. And so as the church is expanding and multiplying, Satan is asking, all right, how do we take these tensions, which are normal, and how do we make the tensions work against what God is trying to do in this place? And so the apostles have to figure out, how do, we, how do we navigate this? How do we work within this? How do we make sure the tension doesn't break us, and instead the tension propels us into the work that God has called us to do? See, one of the things that I've learned in ministry that can almost be guaranteed is any time there is clear that God is at work doing something in this place, is not far behind that Is evidence that Satan is fighting against it. In almost every moment that I've had, had clear experience where it's like, all right, God was up to something there. Not far behind it was what felt like a punch in the chest, where Satan was fighting back, using tension to defy and distract, to try to undercut the work of God in that place. Because when Jesus grows the church, Satan is fighting. Against it. And so, for these apostles, what they then do is they jump into the midst of this, this conflict, this tension in the church. Now, 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 right, this is the first century, so I know we, we probably have to really stretch to think of how, how in the world could this apply in the 21st century. I know. So, just play along as though this happens in, the, in our world today. But So, they, they have to figure out all right, how do we jump into the midst of, of this church that is, that is growing and is reaching people, yet is experiencing tension? That could disrupt what God is trying to do in their midst. Now for the apostles, what's important is they actually don't eliminate the tension. See, eliminating the tension isn't the solution. Being faithful within the tension is. Because no matter what they do, there will continue to be tension because people are people and so there's going to be tension. There's going to be problems. There's going to be difficulty. In fact, if they are going to continue to do what God created in them to do, even if they solve this problem and they begin to reach more people, there's going to be new and more tension. The tension doesn't go away. And so the question is, how can the apostles be faithful within the tension? And so we can get a glimpse of this tension. It starts in verse 1 when it says this. It says, The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now at first glance it might seem like, all right, well this is is about the widows. But it's not really about the widows. Now the widows are a part of of, of figuring out what the problem is and what the tension is here. But, But really what's going on, the widows is a symptom of the problem. And so as this church is rapidly growing, some of this is is a lack of management, right? The, The church is growing rapidly. More disciples are making more disciples who are making more disciples. And so as they have to expand how many people they're able to care for, certain people are getting overlooked, in the, in the church, even before, before Jesus, in their synagogues, this was kind of a, a, a responsibility. The synagogues would care for the orphans and the widows. And so the apostles in the early church, they carry this on in their ministry. But in this group of people, suddenly it comes out and they begin complaining because some of the widows were actually being overlooked. Now what's significant here, though, is it's not all of the widows who are being overlooked. See, the tension isn't that they're forgetting to care for the elderly. It's uh, the Grecian Jews are complaining against the Hebraic Jews. See, the tension is about the divide that begins to take place in that early church. And because of that divide, it is impacting the widows. See, when tension creates division, people get hurt. When the tension pulls and pulls and pulls, we often can think of, all right, well, how does that affect the organization? Or how does that affect the mission? How does that af- affect the leaders? But the problem is for them, they're trying to make sure we know no, it's people that get hurt. It's actually the widows who are no longer being cared for, it's actually the lost people who are being affected. All of these people are being hurt. ...because of the division that is, that is being created. Now in this case, right, they, have, they are divided. The Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Now they're, now they're together. They're all a part of the church family. But because of different backgrounds, the, the Grecian Jews spoke Greek. Hebrew Jews spoke Hebrew or Aramaic. They likely came from different areas. Hebrew Jews being born and raised in Israel. The Grecian Jews were typically born and raised outside of Israel... They probably worshipped even in different locations. The the Greek-speaking Jews would go to a a synagogue that that worshipped in their own language. And so all of these then factors come together. And there begins to be this division, this us against them. And so as the apostles begin to experience this tension, what they see is that there is this division. And that division is causing hurts. Hurts from people who need to be cared for, hurt from people who are being overlooked. And as that even continues, it also begins to take them away from the mission. And so not only are the widows overlooked, but the people who the church is trying to reach also end up having to be overlooked. And so this tension creates division. Now, notice in verse 2, as they continue, though, it says, they, it says this. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, when I read this, I, I, like, there's a part of me that reads it. in like, I mean, really, are we going to talk about caring for the widows in the early church as waiting on tables? Like, there's a part of me that's like, that's a bit harsh. Now, now the reason, though, I think the apostles here are so harsh is not that caring for the widows is not important. I, I, I don't think that at all is what they see. They actually believe caring for the widows is absolutely essential. And we'll see as they, as they are faithful within the tension that they're going to make sure the widows are cared for. But I think what is happening right here is the apostles are so frustrated that this division has distracted them from doing what God has called them to do. Right, you, can, you can sense this anger and frustration that they're saying, do we seriously have to deal with this right now? Like, do we seriously have to have this conversation again? Like, who dropped the ball here? That's what's happening in this moment. Because when tension creates distraction, the mission becomes second. The church has a mission, and that mission cannot be lost No matter what the tension. And so the the apostles respond decisively and faithfully. And they do so in such a way that ensures that the church can remain focused on the mission at hand. That they can do what God calls them to do, that they can continue to care for the people that God has put in their midst, but at the same time, they can continue to reach people, which I guarantee as they continue to, as they start, begin to deal with this tension, and as as the tensions get, all right, not quite as intense, what is going to happen? They're going to reach more people. And like right here, it's just Jews. So we're talking about Greek Jews and Hebrew Jews. Like pretty soon, as the church continues to grow and expand, they're going to start bringing Gentiles into the mix. And that's really going to stretch and pull things. And so the apostles are, are trying to figure out here. How do we respond decisively to ensure that in the midst of the tension, what the church does is use that tension so that it can lead to the church better caring and better reaching the people that God called it to reach? And so we find a couple different responses in Acts chapter 6 which I think are brilliant which can be models for us as as we look at all right, how do we navigate our own tensions? Because if we're going to act like there won't be any tension in this place I, I think it's a bit naive. In fact, if we are going to reach people it's going to create tension. Because when we reach people, that means they're not you. So they're not going to like things the way you do. They're not going to like things the way I do. They're not going to have the same experiences or struggles or backgrounds I do. And so if I want things to be the way I want them to be, I need to stop reaching people. But if we're going to keep reaching people, it's going to create tension. And so what do we do to be faithful within that tension? Now, for the apostles, their response to the tension, is the first thing they do is they raise up leaders to multiply the care and the impact. They actually realize they can't do it on their own. And these are the people, like, God chose these 12 individuals and says, all right, we're going to do this thing called the church. They can't do it by themselves. And so as the church is rapidly growing, they can't manage it. They can't reach all the people that they need to do. And so they realize they need to expand the capacity for them to better care for the people. They need to do what only they can do, but they need other people who can do what only they can do. Because the church is a family. The church is a body that needs all of the parts working together to reach the people that God calls the church to reach. And so in verse 3, it describes this raising up of leaders, and it says, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. In other words, raise up godly leaders, faith-filled leaders, leaders who have wisdom, and, and raise them up, equip them to do the work of the ministry, to care, to know Because the apostles, I mean, there are are thousands being added to the number. They, They can't know every story. They can't know every struggle. They can't know who ate and who didn't eat. They can't possibly manage that. And we see, right, they get frustrated when they have to jump in and manage that and deal with the division. so they need to raise up more people to better care. And by better caring for the people they have, by raising up more leaders, it allows them to reach more people, which allows them then create more problems, which allows them to raise up more leaders so that they can reach more people and create more problems and raise up more leaders. And it goes on and it goes on. No, what I can't help but imagine, though, like in this moment, is what did that look like? Right, because I've, like, I've been in some meetings, like when the team gets together, like we're passionate. Like we all think we know what the way, the way things should go. And so, like what does it look like when the 12 apostles get together? Because like we, we like to put them on this pedestal, but they're not that different than us. Like so what happened in that church meeting when they get all together and like, all right, we've got to figure this problem out. Like, who? Like to be a fly on the wall, who was the person who spoke out of turn in that meeting? Like, who was the apostle who was a little bit bold in their accusation that, that suddenly jumped in and was like, Thomas, how are you dropping the ball? Like, that was your job. That was the one thing we asked you to do. Just care for those widows. Like, how did you miss it? All right, I, like, I like to think of Peter, like if, you've, if any of you have ever taken the Enneagram, I think of Peter as the Enneagram 8, right? He's the bulldozer. Like he's going to get his way whether anybody else wants it to be that way or not. And so like I think of Peter, like he's in that meeting and he's just driving the agenda. No one else sees that as the agenda, but it's his agenda. Like who's the person who has to tell Peter, Peter back off a little bit, buddy. Like what, what were the times when somebody spoke out of turn, Or was frustrated. Who was the apostle who got their feelings hurt? Because this, you better believe that that was filled with tension. Because the tension isn't bad. But what we can see in that is that tension then gets propelled and directed for something that forever changes the trajectory of the church. And so that tension, which is is good, gets managed in such a way that allows the church to better care for people. And somehow, because we don't really know how the meeting actually took place, but we know the outcome, is that they come to a consensus. And they said, all right, together, we're in agreement. Here are the seven men who we are raising up to lead. And so the text even lists out for these, these, us these men, which I think is incredible. It says, all right, let's, let, here's who we chose. Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas. Now what's also incredible about these, these seven men, possibly all seven, at least five of the seven are Greek names. Which means the people that that the apostles choose in the midst of the tension are the people closest to the problem to actually be a part of caring for and helping the problem. Which if we're going to imitate that, what what I'm just going to say to you, be careful what you complain about because it might become a ministry opportunity for you. Because, because what, what happens, and, and, and I partially joke, but what if those things that we experience a little bit of tension about, what, what if it wasn't indicating something, a selfish desire, which there are a lot of times where my complaints and my tensions are about my own selfishness, but what if sometimes it was a holy discontent that God was trying to draw out from you a place or a people that the church needed to care for? Because what the apostles do is when they, these people have this holy discontent, not a selfish discontent, a holy discontent, what, what the apostles do is they say, all right, now you, and you, and you, and you, all right, now come on, we, we, we need to do this. And so they raise up these leaders. See, because there's two ways that we can view the, what it looks like to be a member of the family of God. And we can see it on one hand, we can see it as it's like being a member of a country club. Right, members of a country club, they complain about the tension. Right, members of a, of a country club, what they will do is they will look at the tension and they say, oh, well, this makes me uncomfortable. Right, the country club says, I don't want this, I want this. I want all the opportunities I want, I want it to cost what I want, I want it to be the music I like, the, the people I like. And, and I've, I've been here, I, I can promise you. Like, there are times I don't even like the things I preach, right? There are times... Where it's like, all right, that's not the way I want. But what if instead of it being members of a country club, what if that tension was experienced differently? What if it was members were enlisted in the mission? And so instead, those tensions propelled people into the mission field. What if that tension sent people out See, that's what happens in the early church. People are enlisted in ministry. They are doing ministry. And so for the apostles and for the leaders that they are raising up then, what we will begin to see is that they respond and they remain faithful no matter the amount of tension. Which I think is what is so incredible here. Because when we talk about the tension, like we might have in our mind 21st century suburbia America tension. But 1st century tension is a little bit worse. Because in the 1st century, it's about life and death. Persecution and suffering and hiding. So for them, like they are staying faithful no matter how difficult things get. And for them, there have never been Christians before. Like, that wasn't even a thing yet. But they say, in verse 4, we will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. No matter how difficult things get, we're going to stay committed to prayer. And the reason they stay committed to prayer isn't because they have all the answers. It's because they don't. It's not because they have it all together. It's because they Don't and they stay committed to the ministry of the word, not coming up with their own ideas, but relying on what God Himself says. And so the apostles do this and they're faithful in the tension. They're not driven by pleasing everybody, they're not driven simply by growing the crowd, although we see here what it actually does in their case end up growing the number of disciples. See, for them, their motivator isn't any of those things. Their motivator is how do they stay faithful to what God has called them to do and who God has called them to be? How do they continue to be committed to to, to prayer and committed to the word and give their attention to the things that matter the most? See, what I can tell you is that when the disciples are committed to these things, Prayer in the Word, when leaders in this church are committed to those things, whether it be pastors or ministry leaders or worship leaders or small group leaders, when we are committed to prayer in the word, it produces faithfulness in the midst of the tension. And faithfulness in the midst of the tension is not about being seen faithful. Being faithful in the midst of the tension is about doing what's right. About speaking truth in love. About loving one another. It's about doing what love requires regardless of what other people think or say or do. See, and that faithfulness begins. It begins by being connected to prayer in the word. Because it's in those places where we are best reminded of God's faithfulness. See, faithfulness begins when I, as a leader, realize that I don't don't have this all together. It begins when I, as a leader, realize that I don't don't think about it all the right way. When I realize that I am full of sins, sins that I would be ashamed and embarrassed if you knew. It begins when we, as leaders, realize that we join a long list of people, a long list of train wrecks who God chooses to work through to build his church. Because when Jesus says, I'll build my church, and... The powers of death won't overcome it. That also means when God chooses to work through you, he's not waiting for a better version of you to begin that work. Jesus wants to work through you today. In the midst of the anxiety, the depression, the sin, the suffering, the hurt, no matter where you're at, Jesus can work through you. Because if the powers of death Can't overcome what Jesus wants to do through you to build his church. There is nothing that can stop what Jesus has come to do. We join a long list of imperfect and sinful people. Just like the apostles who God chooses to work through. There's a preacher by the name of Robert Capin, who, he was actually a preacher, a cook, and an author, which is a brilliant combination. And he he described what we we offer in the church by saying it this way, which I think is, which I love. He says, unless the faith of preachers, he says, but we can translate that leaders. Unless the faith of leaders is in Christ alone, not in any other person, ecclesiastical institution, theological system, moral prescription, or master recipe for human loveliness. They will be of very little use in the pulpit. Think about this for the apostles, right? The apostles, their faith isn't in any other person. It's not in it's not in Peter or Paul or Thomas. It's not in any uh, any one of the twelve. It's not in the ecclesiastical institution that they don't even know what that means yet. It's not in the theological system because we see them arguing about that most of the New Testament. It's not in a moral prescription because they're pretty big failures at all of that. It's not a master recipe for human loveliness. The one thing that they have that is of any use and the one thing that actually grows the church that they are, happen to be a part of is Jesus alone. And the one thing that I can t- promise to you that any person who stands on stage, any person who leads a small group, the one thing that we offer is Jesus. It's not our ability to do what is right and what is and avoid what is wrong. It's not that we happen to be a part of some special institution or theological system. It's none of those things. It's Jesus Christ alone. And so, the place that faithfulness begins is realizing what we actually have to offer. Because if I'm being honest about myself, I'm a wreck. I don't love God the way that I should. I often sit in church distracted with other places I'd rather be. I gossip, I lie, I lust. A lot of days I choose my phone over my kids or work over my wife. I'm often a failure. When I see the person that God wants me to be, I often am reminded that I don't quite measure up. But what I can tell you is I've got Jesus. And I can give that to you because that's all I have. Because he's the one that forgives me in spite of me. And I don't have all the answers. I often will like to pretend I have the answers. Like act like I know the right thing to say in the right moment. But I don't have all the answers. But I have Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. I, I know the one who has the answers even when he doesn't tell me them. I often don't feel like I'm very strong. I feel like I'm expected to be strong... But I don't feel strong. But what I do have is the one who promises to be strong when I'm weak. And there might be a lot that we can say and what we can do when we gather together. But the one thing that I have that is of any use and the one thing that the apostles had that was any use in this thing called the church was they offered people Jesus. And that faithfulness in the midst of the tension began with that. Because as Jesus did his work, he cut through the tension and used the tension. So that people, no matter how far they were from God, could be introduced to Jesus. That's where faithfulness in the tension begins. It begins in the place where the apostles would be reminded of in Lamentations 3. When it says his mercies are new every morning. Right? I, I need that to be true because every morning I, I wake up aware that I sin, that I fall short. That I can't lead the way that I need to lead if it's all up to me to grow this thing. To do what God wants it to do. I am desperate for what 1 John says when it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, faithfulness in the midst of the tension doesn't begin by eliminating the tension. And it doesn't begin by doing all the right things. It begins by being aware of the faithfulness of God. Faithfulness begins with the faithfulness of God. A God who promises to never leave, to never give up, and a God who promises that he will build his church. And you and I can't screw that up. Because he's building it, not us. I want to close in a time of prayer for us. And the way I want to close is by being reminded of the faithfulness of God. And so I want to close with a time where we can be honest, where we can confess our own sin, our own failure. Our own mistakes in those moments of tension where where we have the, the wrong way of thinking or the wrong way of treating people. And so I want to take a moment to confess, to pray, and then hear the words of Jesus in response to that. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love, for your forgiveness, for the opportunity to gather together and be reminded of your love and faithfulness. But for many of us, if we are being honest and we are looking at our own life, we realize that so many times we're not faithful. That meant for many of us, in the midst of the tension, we lie and we gossip. In the midst of the tension, we hurt In the midst of the tension, we often want things our way, not the way that benefits somebody else. And so, Jesus, I just pray in these moments that you hear us, that you would forgive us for all the times that we haven't honored you with our life and with our words, with our actions. That you would forgive us for our lack of faithfulness. That you would work in us, that you would convict us those areas of our life that need to change. And Jesus, I pray that you would use us in spite of ourselves, in spite of the brokenness and insecurity and doubts and anxieties and depression and in spite of our sin, in spite of our lack of love, in spite of our selfishness, that you would propel us into ministry and into the mission. So Jesus, I pray that in these moments, as we personally confess to you our own sin, that you would hear us now in these moments. The promise of Jesus to you is that he's not waiting for a better version of you to work through you. The promise of Jesus is that no matter the amount of tension or division or distraction, he is always faithful. And Jesus says to you this morning, your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.